Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everybody. I am Lucia Matuonto, and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Hello and welcome back to the Relatable Voice podcast. Today, the RV is headed to Nashville to speak with Kaylon Brunner-Tran. Kaylon is a medical research scientist and author of the Agent Orange trilogy. So, Kaylon, welcome to the Relatable Voice. Thank you, Lucia. I am I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I, I was looking forward to talking with you, Kaylon. I think you have so many important things to tell us. Well, thank thank you. Um, my research is is very important to me. It's very close to my heart. But the books are historical fiction. And I, I really didn't plan on writing a novel ever because, you know, life is busy. I love to read. I always have. But um, something happened in my family. My ex-husband is Vietnamese and we have two sons. And I thought, well, let's get our DNA analyzed. Wouldn't that be interesting? And through that, I found a relative that we didn't know about. And his story inspired me to write um, the first book, Time Intertwined. And while I was working on it, because it's set in Vietnam, part of it's set in Vietnam during the Vietnam War, I thought, well, I should weave my research into it because that's what I study is the effects of Agent Orange, the generational effects. And in particular, my background is reproductive pathology. So I'm very interested in diseases that affect pregnancy, um, also endometriosis, which is a disease that women can get, and it's very debilitating, or it can be. And I just thought, how can I talk about the Vietnam War and not talk about Agent Orange? And so I, I ended up weaving that into the first book. And then I just wanted to keep writing. So that's how it became a trilogy. Wow, that's amazing. And why are you interested in reproductive? Sorry. <laughs> reproductive <laughs> pathology? Yeah. yeah. Well, pathology. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Well, so, all right. So I'm interested in reproduction and pregnancy itself, because we call it um, fetal plasticity. And so when when a child is in the in utero environment, um, it's taking its cues from its mother and the placenta is largely from the dad. So the placenta is very important too. And so this, this in utero environment, the, the baby's figuring out what is my life going to be like? What is the world on the outside going to be like? And he or she will adapt to whatever those signals are. And so if you've got a mom that smokes or say your father was in the Vietnam War and exposed to Agent Orange, 
that changes that in utero environment and it changes how the baby forms. And when that child is born and grows up, it, the health of that child in so many ways, it's called the developmental origins of health and disease. This is not my theory, but this is, this has been developed over a number of years. And we know now that the in utero environment sets the stage for adult health. And so it, if you don't have a good in utero environment, then you're much more likely to have diseases and suffer issues throughout your life. And that has always fascinated me that, that in utero environment, we have to protect it and we have to make it as good as it can be. And that's why I study a lot of the male factors because people ignore the dad in pregnancy. You know, they think, oh, he donates the sperm and then he's done. But it's so much more important than just that. And, you know, anyway, so that's why I'm interested in, in reproductive medicine and reproductive pathology, because I, I want to get that message out, you know, to so that people, you know, why, why am I having trouble losing weight? Why am I having, you know, asthma, even autism has been linked to changes in the in utero environment, not to blame the mother. And I want to be very careful. Huh. It's so many different aspects. And some of it might, you know, your grandmother might have smoked and that's going to affect, you know, where, where you are. And so that's, I just, I just find it endlessly, endlessly fascinating. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think it's fascinating. And I studied physical therapy. And when I was having biology classes, I remember I was, I had to learn about the thesis to throw something. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. But I was so fascinated. And it was something that I really like. It's interesting that research or DNA research is really yes. what brought you to write this story. But for our listeners, could you please explain exactly what is Agent Orange? I'm absolutely, absolutely. So um, Agent Orange is just a, a, it's a, I don't know, it's a nickname, I guess is the right way to say it. It's a combination of two different herbicides that were actually developed during World War II. And they wanted to use them. So it was developed by U.S. and British uh, scientists. And the plan was to use it against the Japanese. But the war ended before they could put these into use. So he looked at the guy that did it. Um, what was his name? Krauss. He was looking at several different, like 15 or 20 different agents that would destroy food crops. And he was trying different combinations. And he figured out that this one combination, and they used, in the Vietnam War, they used, they called them the rainbow chemicals because they came in these black barrels that had stripes on them. And so Agent Pink had a pink stripe, Agent Orange had an orange stripe. So there were several of them. But Agent Orange was the most destructive. And it was also um, contaminated with dioxin. And it wasn't supposed to be. It was a manufacturing flaw that led to the dioxin being present in Agent Orange. And to me, the tragedy was the, the scientists at Monsanto, once it started being used in the war, and so this is now the 60s, once they started using it, the scientists at Monsanto realized it was contaminated with Agent Orange, and they figured out a way to change the manufacturing process to reduce or eliminate the dioxin. And that would have changed the human health effects. But 
somebody in our government decided that that was too expensive and they told them not to do that and just just to manufacture it the way they had originally done and because of that we're seeing the health effects that we see now not just in american soldiers um, australian soldiers um, everybody that was sent there to fight but the vietnamese population yeah. uh, and and it's also changed the um the agriculture of vietnam because the dioxin doesn't go away um, we're now thankfully spending a lot of money in Vietnam to try to rehabilitate some of the land, but that's an expensive process. It takes a long time. And it was, the country was so heavily sprayed in, in, in such huge areas of the country. And so it, it, it'll eventually be done, but how many people are going to suffer in the meantime? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read that it's considered to be the cause of miscarriages, cancers, birth defects, and it to me the birth defects are the worst. I mean, it, the the birth defects are by far the worst, especially in Vietnam because you have you know people that were that were exposed directly because they were there during the war, but then they continued to live in those contaminated areas. And so it just keeps concentrating in their bodies. And then when they have children, um, these are some of the most horrific birth defects I've ever seen. And it's just, it's just such a travesty. Um, Unfortunately, so, so sad. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. And Kilo, it's not often that we see a scientist that turns to fiction writing. (laughs) (laughs) So... Have you always wanted to be a writer? Um, I guess I've always been a writer. I've always loved writing. Um, but, you know, and I've always loved reading. And like I said, so as a scientist, we have to publish our work. I'm, I, what I was doing all day before I talked to you, I'm working on a grant. My colleague and I were writing a grant. And, you know, you're, you're telling your story. You're saying, this is what we want to do in the laboratory. And this is why you need to give us money to do it. 
but you have to write it in a way that's compelling. Even though other scientists are going to read this document, um, they've also got 12 other grants that they're reading, and they may not be Probably the person that reviews this um, will be familiar with toxicology. They'll probably be um, an MD or a PhD in reproductive medicine, but they may not know my compound, dioxin. They may not know immunology, which this is heavily into immunology. And so, so you have to expect that they'll know some of what you're doing, but not everything. So you have to explain it in such a way that they understand what you're trying to do and they appreciate what you're trying to do and they can actually critique it and say, you know, this is a good idea or not. And that, that takes, um, not everybody's very good at that. And so my colleague, Kevin, we work together and, and he and I can come up with these ideas and he will often come up with much better ideas than I come up with. But once we know what we're going to do, I think it's easier for me to say something in a way that is easy to understand. And that I've always loved doing that. And I've always, when I have two sons, they're both in college now, but when they were growing up, I would love to go to their schools and do little science demonstrations and talk to people about what does a scientist do and that you can be a scientist. You know, people think, oh my gosh, you must be so smart, you're a scientist. And there are a lot of really smart people that are in this field, but the ones that are successful are just the ones that are passionate and and don't give up and just really have a question that they want to answer and you know being being smart is not nearly enough and it's not it's not necessarily the only thing Mm -hmm. Um, and so I wanted to always tell kids you can do this if you have a passion if you have an interest and also to explain you know engineers are scientists you know there there's lots of different kinds of scientists and you they touch your life every day even if you don't realize it and um so anyway, that's I've always wanted to bridge that gap between the lay public and what we do. And the, the novels just seem to be a great opportunity to do that. There's not a lot of science in them. Book two has more than the first and the third, because book two, I really delve into the history of um, Agent Orange, although they're, they're very, very short chapters. And if you don't care about it, you can actually skip those. But um, but to me, it was important. And I think for the veterans. Uh, they want to know the history of that compound and how it came to be. And I even touch on the burn pits because, oh my gosh, the burn pits, um, they're probably just as bad. And um, I'm afraid that we're going to see, you know, Afghani and Iraqi children that are suffering because of them. And certainly our veterans are suffering because of those. And you just, why don't we learn from history? It's so frustrating. People don't learn from the past. But Kayla, you've published <laughs> the third book in this three already? I did. It came out on Monday. So, yeah. And what can readers expect from the latest installment? Oh, gosh. Okay. So all three of the books um, have a DNA mystery. And so that winds through all of them. What's different in the third book So, all right. So when I wrote the first book, it was going to be one and done, move on with my life. And then once I decided to do the trilogy, I I went back to book one and I found a couple of really minor characters in book one. Uh And they became major characters in book two. And 
for book three and in all in all three of the books i talk a lot about the orphans because that's the other tragedy of of the vietnam war is the number of um of of orphans that came from the western soldiers and i decided that the third book i wanted to to be the story of one of those orphans and She's actually in book two. She's a major character in book two, but you don't know that much about how she grew up. You knew that she was an orphan and she ended up marrying a a, um, a soldier, but we meet her when she's six months old in book three. And we meet her mother and we find out how she's separated from her mother. We find out her mother's story. And I love her mother's story. Um, she... Uh, did not want to give up her baby. She was forced to, and she's so pissed off that she joins the resistance and she starts fighting against the Americans. And so we follow her story for 80 years. Wow. And, um, so you've got two very, very different stories that they go through the book. And then those are the two main stories. So she is the mom, Lynn is the daughter. You follow those stories from beginning to end and learn a lot more about Lynn than you ever did in the second book. There are also several soldier stories. Um, Mark and Augie meet in Vietnam. They're both 18 years old and they meet um, at the Da Nang Air Force Base and they spend their days loading planes with Agent Orange. And my purpose in, in their stories was twofold. I wanted to touch on the generational effects. Um, so they will have what happens in their lives later is touched on in the book. But but I wanted to also reiterate how young these men were sometimes that went. And, and on my website, there's a blog that I wrote called Moments. And when my son was 17, my oldest son was 17, he had um, the opportunity to have a day out of school if you did something interesting. And he chose to come to my lab, not because he cared about being a scientist, but uh -huh. he just didn't want to go to school. Yeah. So, but the day he happened to be in the lab, um, Ken Gamble was visiting. And so Ken is a Vietnam veteran and he started the Agent Orange Foundation. Um, and he had heard about our research and he just wanted to come meet us and see the lab. And um, so he's in his 70s. and. He happened to be in the lab the day that Kendrick was there. And when I introduced Kendrick to Ken, Ken said, oh, I was 17 when I joined the Navy and went to Vietnam. And wow. that was a very profound moment for me because this is my baby. My, my, I mean, he's a foot taller than I am, but he is my little boy. And, and I can't imagine him going off to war and killing people or, or being killed. And I decided, and I wanted that in the book. I wanted to really hammer that message that these are kids they are. and they can't even drink legally. No. And I just, it just, you know, I'm not, I do not come from a military family and I, I, I have utmost respect. Um, and I love being an American, but 
not having that background and not, I can say that I appreciate them and pre appreciate what they do. And I absolutely do, but I've not had an uncle or a brother or anybody mm. in my family that was, you know, um, and so just seeing Ken and realizing how young he was and what he went through at that age. And I've met enough Vietnam veterans now through the books. They carry that with them. It's not, it's not, oh, we were just there for a year, a year of my life, whatever. No, no, it is, it is a permanent fixture. Yeah, it's forever. It is forever. And I don't know that I fully appreciated that um, before having the opportunity to talk to some of these men and women. I mean, you should, the women's stories are very, very compelling as well. Uh -huh. So do you tell these stories in this book or is completely fiction? That's a good question. And it's a little bit of both. Um, so in the third book, I don't want to give anything away, but in the third book, I actually have um, a young woman that ends up volunteering and she goes to Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, something happens in her life and she decides I'm enlisting. This is what I want to do. And several of the things that happened to her happened to a friend of mine. I, again, this is not my background. And so I called a friend of mine who I knew had been in the army for 20 years and spent time in both Iraq and Afghanistan. And I said, tell me some of your stories. And so um, he had so many stories that, I mean, I just, you know, we talked for hours. And so three or four of the things that happened to him are in the book. Mm -hmm. And for the, uh, the Vietnam stories, it's the same. You know, I've talked to several veterans and several things that they told me have made their way into the book. And in, in, in book two in particular, um, one, of, one of the soldiers that I talked to got very attached to a Vietnamese prostitute. And so anytime he could get R&R, &R, he would buy her time for as long as he had. And he said, it wasn't very much money, but I could buy four days of her time you know, for whatever amount of money it was. And he said, he said, I, I loved this woman. And um, that I didn't expect that, you know, and he, he would talk about the language barrier, but we made it work. And um, so I, that that's in that is in book two and just a lot of the bits and pieces and Chi's story who ended up joining the Viet Cong um, that I think came from Ken because he talked about, the women soldiers and and how hard it was as an American and, and the way we view women, or at least in the 60s, I guess they viewed women. Um, he, he said that was hard to kind of adapt, that these are people that are out to kill you and you might have to kill this, these women. And he, that was a struggle. Yeah. I feel that I need to read your book. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I'll cry. You know, there are times when I'm writing or, or review, you know, because you have to read your books multiple times because you find different things um, that mistakes. So one of the last things I found in, in Darkness and Light. So there's a scene where this this 
this woman is opening a door and she pulls it to her. Well, three chapters later, she's pushing the door open. It's just stupid things like that, that you just, you want to correct anything that you can't. So, um, but I, I got so involved in the story and I know everything that happens. I mean, I wrote it and yet I still find myself tearing up at certain scenes and, or, or you get so attached to these characters and, and, you know, the one thing I wanted to do with Darkness and Light, and the reason it's called Darkness and Light is because there's a lot of bad stuff that happens. There's some very dark days for a lot of these characters. But I wanted the end of the book, especially because it's the end of the trilogy, I didn't want people to be, you know, crying their eyes out at the end. I want them to feel like it's okay. These people are okay. And and I can set them aside now. Yes. And Kaylon, how did you balance the scientific aspects in your creative process? Oh, you know, I don't know. Um, it helped that my kids were, I think, I think Keaton was a senior in college when I started writing. I'm not sure that's true. It might have been a junior. Uh, it was all during COVID, you know, and, and we, the lab never shut down. They, Vanderbilt made our kids go home. We call our students kids because it's Kevin and I, and I swear we're like the mom and dad of the lab. But, um, but anyway, so, so they made the uh, students go home, but the rest of us were still working every day. And, um, and I would get home in the evening and, you know, the boys were busy. I think Kendrick was in school and Keaton was here, but no, he didn't want to hang out with mom. And I just, I found myself, because I was tired. I'd, I'd been exhausted. Work was just so crazy busy because we didn't have any help. And I would come home and I would just find myself exhausted sitting on the couch. And I watched so much Netflix. And I thought, what am I doing? I, I don't want to waste my time. I mean, I love Netflix. I love movies. And there's a time and place for it. But I just thought I want to do something else. And this story of my relative had been weighing on me anyway. Um, I wanted to know more about, so this is the relative that we found that we didn't know existed. And he was looking for his biological mother. And, and as his story developed and he would, he was in touch with me and he would tell me different things that were going on. And, and it was just such an amazing story. And I just kept thinking he needs to write that down, but he didn't want to, he was just like, no, that's not, that's not, me and I finally thought you know what what if I write a novel and just use what happened to you as kind of a jumping off point and he thought it was a great idea and um and so that's what I started doing and it came together very quickly and I just had so much fun and then after it was published I just I'd get home and turn on Netflix and be going I want to work on my book but it was fun. It was done. And um, and so then, yeah, so one night I just woke up in the middle of the night and I thought, by golly, I'm going to make that a trilogy. Wow. That's so, amazing. Yeah. And also you mentioned you don't recommend deciding to write a trilogy after publishing the first book. Why is that? Yeah, because it was really um, awkward. I had, you know, because I did. All right. So I wanted the book one and book two to connect. You know, I didn't want it to be something completely different. And so I, I pulled out a very minor character and 
basically decided I'm going to tell his story. But then I'd have to go back to book one and go, wait. So Ashley is a very minor character. Which, who was she? You know, I, I couldn't I knew the scene she was in, but I couldn't remember. So she was with this group of scientists and I couldn't remember. Was she a research assistant? Was she a grad student? I want I was like, but it never said in the book. It didn't even tell me her last name in the first book. I'm like, perfect, because I decided I wanted her to be a research assistant because she was tired of academics and she was going to go work for the California Bureau of Investigation. But that would only work if she was, you know, this kind of scientist and not that kind of scientist. And so fortunately, I didn't say much about her. So I was able to make that work. And then um, for some stupid reason, I had this guy, this little kid on a wagon that overturns. But it was such a minor part of the story. It was like this little kid remembering something that happened to him and this wagon. And and I'm going, how on God's green earth am I going to make that work? with the story I'm trying to build now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you know, you did, you just, you just have to make it work. And my, um, my editor asked me a question. She said, well, I don't think that's realistic. And I said, well, it doesn't matter. Cause it has to be considered. I said that in book two. So it's gotta be that way in book three. And she's like, okay, I guess so. But um, it was a mess. It was a mess. I had the same problem with my trilogy. I said, no, next time I will plan beforehand. <laughs> I mean, you can't plan everything, but it would have been helpful. And I was I was very nearly done with book two when I realized I didn't even know. So when I decided I was going to do a trilogy, I didn't even know what book three was going to be about. I had a great idea for book two. And book two is actually a murder mystery. It's very different from book one and book three. Um, but it's still got the DNA. It's still got Vietnam. It's still got Agent Orange. It's still, you know, past and present. But it's but it's this murder mystery that I really I really like. Um, but I was almost done with with book two when it occurred to me that I wanted, and I don't want, I don't want to give it away. But something that happens in book three is now a secret. In book two, they talk about it, this event in Lynn's life. And I thought, no, no, let's make that a secret. And let's make them not find that out until book three. And so then I had to start back at the beginning of book two and make sure I changed anything that related to that. But it, it, I, it, I think it worked out. I mean, I've, it because it causes... It, it there's just this surprise and it's not necessarily a good surprise, but it works out. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's, there's a shock, but then, okay, I understand why you didn't tell me. And, and then it, it, anyway. It was a lot of work, I'm sure. But it's fun. I mean, that, that's what my mom keeps saying. She says, I don't know why you, because I stress about it. I worry about my characters and I, I'm like, I want to get it done. And she's like, there's no deadline. Why are you stressed out about this? I'm like, I don't know. I just, I just want to get it done. I want to find out what happens. I mean, part of it is that, you know, you, at least for me, I don't know about other writers, but I have kind of the big picture, but I don't know the details about how things are actually going to come together. Is that what you do? Yeah, just say. And, and so sometimes you're sitting it there at the computer and you're going, I really need to go to bed, but I want to know what happens. I got to keep writing. So I find out what happens. I understand you completely. 
and I feel so attached to my characters. Oh, I know it. I know it. It's crazy. So it is. It is. But it's so much fun. So much fun. And Kaylon, is there a message that you would like to leave to our listeners today? I, you know, I guess there's two messages. Um, to anybody that was exposed to Agent Orange, there's so much that we don't know about what it causes. Um, you know, I'm on a couple of Facebook pages and I just, I see these people and they, you know, they have all these different conditions and I can't promise everybody that all of these things are associated with dioxin, but, but I just want them to know that there are people, not just me, but there's a lot of us out here that are studying this compound and trying to understand how to make it better. Um, there's not a lot I can do for someone that's already suffering, but the goal of our lab is to break the cycle so that the next generation doesn't have these same um, issues. And I do want people to know that, that, that there are a lot of people out here working on this and similar compounds. I mean, it's not just dioxin. I mean, the BPA and um, dialthestilbestrol. I mean, there's so many compounds out there that we've we've got to pay attention to and try to understand how they work so we can prevent those uh, problems. So that's the first message. And then the second message is similar. Um, you know, endometriosis is a disease that I've studied for a long time. And it's another disease that people often feel is neglected. And women with the disease, I think, feel neglected. And I want them to know that they're not. Um, it probably does not seem like a lot of progress has been made, but we know a lot more now than we did 20 years ago. And in another 20 years, I think this disease will be much more, much easier to manage. And I just want it, I want them to have hope for the future. You know, all of these, all of these diseases. So, and this is true with dioxin as well. You know, dioxin exposure is, is probably one, one component of a disease, but very few diseases have one singular cause. You know, if you're driving down the road and have a car accident, you know, maybe there was, you know, maybe a deer ran out in front of you. Maybe there was, you know, water on the road. Maybe you had a little drink at dinner. I mean, there's usually like four or five things that come together that actually cause the accident. It's not one single thing. And diseases are like that too. Um, you know, maybe you're, maybe you were a smoker for a long time and developed lung cancer, but probably you had a genetic predisposition as well. And then the smoking is what pushed you over the edge. So, you know, there's not, there's not one thing that causes everything, but um, certainly environmental exposures are not helping any of us. Yeah. Long, thank you so much. I, I was sure that this episode was going to be amazing and i i appreciate so much your work and i appreciate you and i wanted to know that our doors are always open for you thank you thank you well i really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and your audience and um you know they can contact me through my website if they have questions or you know anything people contact me all the time with medical questions and i'm not a physician but sometimes I think it's they feel like it's easier to talk to me instead of a uh, instead of a doctor. I'm not sure why that is, but I I I, I know that from experience, and they're they're welcome to uh, 
to ask a question and I'll try to help him if I can. So please tell us how can we find you and of course your books. Uh, well, the books are available on Amazon. I have links to them on my website and the website is just my name, Kaylin Bruner Tran. Dot com and that's K-A-Y-L-O-N-B-R-U-N-E-R-T-R-A-N.com. And you have social media? I do. Um, yeah, I'm on, uh, what am I on? I'm on Instagram and I'm also on TikTok because I, I um, yeah, I've made a couple of cat videos because I think they're a lot of fun. It's nice. I'm still not on TikTok, but maybe it took me. It took me a long time. A friend of mine kept sending me videos, and um, and then finally I made one, and my son helped me figure out how to how to do it. So he's a communications major and does anyway much more computer savvy than I am. Mm -hmm. It was fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I'm try. I will try something. So Kaylon, thank you so so much again, and come back. Thank you. I will I will be happy to. Yes, and you'll be featured on our e-magazines, Brand Education, Word Authors, and The Relatable Voice. Well, thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening and remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus.